move through you. And that, that in your life, you live in this kind of sphere of influence, this world in which you live, right? Your neighborhood, your work, whatever it may be. And God wants to move through you to be a blessing every day of your life, everywhere that you go, so that you can, can by the power of God in you, pour this, pray for those who are in need, help those who are in need, whatever it may be, right? To be a blessing to them. So God wants to move in power in your life. God wants to move in power through you. Every day of your life. And we said last week that those through whom God moves are those who live a life of humility. A life of humility. See, we said last week that we are an orange extension cord, right? Apart from being plugged into a power source, we are dead and we are worthless just to sit there and hang and look orange. But as soon as we give our lives to Jesus, all of a sudden it's like you take that extension cord and you plug it into Jesus. And now you become a conduit through which power flows. The Holy Spirit flows. God flows in your life. So you can then plug into other people. Who have needs. So I just said a second ago about sitting down with all these college girls. I did college ministry for, for a long time. I think 11 or 12, 13 years, something like that. And we sat down with these girls and literally it's like every week there was somebody who was struggling with identity and who they are, who had an abortion. They were wrestling with this, the, the guilt from that, right? Or they were, they were struggling with, I mean, just having multiple sexual partners, whatever it may be, or they're struggling with, with alcohol, struggling with all this stuff and identity. And we'd sit down and I'm like, Oh, God wants to move in you, and he then wants to move through you, because he loves you. He wants to do this. It's the great desire of his heart. And we said, if we're going to be then conduits through whom the Holy Spirit moves so that you can bring healing to those girls or those people, whoever it may be, you have to be plugged into a source so that you can be a conduit through which his power flows so that you can then be a blessing to people who are simply in desperate need in their lives. So, we, like Jesus and like his disciples, must embrace humility. Remember we said last week, Peter laid hands on that guy who had been sitting at the gate beautiful his entire life, because he had been crippled his entire life. And Peter and John walk up and say, hey, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Get up, be healed, and walk. And everyone looked at, and everyone saw the man they had known their entire life get up and walk. And they came over in amazement and said, they must be gods. That's the culture they lived in. They would have thought these men were gods, Peter and John. And Peter and John said, whoa, 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 whoa. It has nothing to do with us. We're simply an orange extension cord plugged into Jesus and now his power is flowing through us. So take your eyes off of us and look to him. See, what they did is they said it has nothing to do with us. They embraced humility. And because of the embracing of humility, it recognized that nothing to do with them. Power was able to flow through them to bring healing to somebody who is in need. The place that I want us to begin this morning and talking about humility is simply this. God is a humble God. God is a humble God. The defining characteristic 
of who he is. He is humble. We said last week that humility means like this utter dependence and vulnerability, right? And kind of a nakedness before God that we have nothing in our own strength that's of value. That everything we have that's worth the value of anything is ultimately from him. And so God is a, is a humble God. Then he comes and, and he says, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a servant, I'm here to, to serve you and to, to bless you and to love you. It's about you and it's not about me. How do we know this? Well, the life of Jesus and the life that he lived while he was here on earth was simply an expression of the heart of God the Father. So when he came and he lived his life, he was simply, listen, pretty simple. He was expressing in his life who God was. And so we see in Philippians chapter 2, Paul's having this conversation with his friends, right? The Philippian church, right? These people, this group is there. And, and he writes them and he basically says, listen, I want to tell you how you need to live your life. I want, to, I want to give you a model real quick. You're asking me what your life should look like. Well, here, I'm going to lay it out for you. And I'm going to do it by pointing to the life of Jesus, for he is your model. And I read this to you. I want you to focus in on. Everything that's kind of a picture of someone who's humble or humility in and of itself. Okay? So that's your job. Your job is to listen and just kind of pick out humility in the midst of this. Paul talking says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Stop real quick. Do nothing in your life. Don't do anything for selfish ambition. It's strictly for you and for your good and for what's best for you, right? And don't just do things for vain conceit so basically you can be vainly conceited and think about how great you are, right? But in humility, in humility, this is your lifestyle, consider others better than yourselves. Some of you just tuned me out because you don't like that. And I don't like it either. All right. Verse four. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. He just said, it's not all about you. All right. Here we go. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Pause. Do you realize? Jesus, think about heaven. You can't think about heaven. Heaven is way too outside of our... But think about perfection. Think about the greatest moment you've ever had in your life, multiplied in infinity, and it begins to scratch the surface of what heaven's going to be like. He left that to come to this. And this is to be honest. I mean, our world's great and all, but compared to heaven, this is hell, right? I mean, it's brokenness. Think about all the, all the hurt feelings that you've had this week and all the mean things people have said about you, right? And all the stuff that you just don't like. And, all, and think about how difficult life is. Jesus left heaven perfection to come and to live that life, Right? Listen, talk about humbling himself, coming to serve. It's crazy. And being found in human appearance as a man, that's humbling in of itself. All right? Scripture says he was ugly. He didn't just come as a man. He came as an ugly man, according to Isaiah. All right? He came as an ugly man. Being found in appearance as an ugly man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Do you get the picture? I mean, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is in, I mean, it says right here, he says, who being in very nature God said, I know I could choose Godhood and be the best, but I'm going to choose to be a human, right? I'm going to choose to be an ugly human. And that ain't have a great job. That's going to be, I'm going to be like lower middle class making some furniture for 30 years. He chose this life. What we begin to see in the life of Jesus, he came to serve. He came to identify with our brokenness. Scripture says he was tempted in every way as a man. Men, real quick, men. Jesus wanted to have sex with a woman outside of marriage. Right? Just laid out there. He was a man who struggled with lust. He was tempted in every way as a human being. He left heaven to come here to brokenness, to serve so we can identify with us so that we would then know he's not a God who doesn't understand our situation of life. No, he understands perfectly because he's struggled with everything that we have, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to say no. Jesus came and expressed humility. In fact, all those big Bible people we call theologians, They call this scripture in Philippians the humiliation. They call it the humiliation. That God, that God would leave heaven to come here as a baby, naked and vulnerable and completely dependent. If you don't know what Jesus was like in the beginning of his life, have a baby and hold him. And that's exactly what he was like for his mom. Vulnerable, dependent, and completely needy. He chose this. Why? To humble himself. He humbled himself. This is, he's expressing the lifestyle of the nature of the living God. As a servant and as a lover, and as one who fights for the ones that he loves to give his life for them. Jesus' power proceeded in his life from the place of humility. Jesus' power proceeded out from him from a place of humility, of dependence on God, of vulnerability as a human being. And this level of dependence thing have nothing got apart from you. But if we are honest with ourselves about this, we hate this and thinking about adopting. It's okay if Jesus, hey, it's okay for Jesus, but I don't want to live like this, right? I want to live a life of humility, right? We live in a culture that celebrates the opposite. We live in a culture that, that strives for, that strives for first place in all things, right? To, to be number one, to, to be the most powerful and to be the greatest. We see in life, in school, and in the office even, and even in church itself, this pushing to be number one, right? We compete with one another. We compare ourselves to one another. And in turn, it literally feels counter to every feeling and emotion that we have to choose humility. To be broken, to be vulnerable, to be dependent, and to be weak, and to be needy. These are the picture and the signs of humility. It feels counter to us to literally choose and embrace and listen. I mean this word to even celebrate 
living a life of dependence, living a life of weakness, and living a life of neediness. I am dependent upon God every day of my life. I am weak apart from his strength moving through me every day. And I am needy apart from what he gives me. Jesus expressed this humility when he came to earth. He said, I will do nothing except that which I see my Father in heaven doing. It says in Scripture, he grew in stature and he grew in wisdom, which meant he came to earth limited in his abilities. He was not omnipotent. He was not all-knowing. He couldn't just zap from one place to the next. He was bound by a human body. He grew in wisdom because he didn't know things. He came utterly dependent and needy, having to grow in wisdom and stature as a model for you of what a human being can look like if they embrace the undercurrent of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus in their lives. Jesus then is our model of what a life lived in humility should look like. In his book, everybody write this down, In the Name of God, In the Name of God by Henry Nouwen, this good Catholic priest, you need to read all of his books. Henry with an I, H-E-N-R-I, Nouwen, N-O-U-W-E-N. He says this, this book, In the Name of God, may be, in my opinion, the most important book on leadership for our generation. He says, I believe the leader of tomorrow will stand before God naked, before the world, saying, I have nothing to offer but God himself. I love that picture of leadership. It says this. This is another quote. This is on the screen. It says, one of the greatest ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly gave in to the temptation of power, political power, military power, economic power, moral and spiritual power, even though they continue to speak in the name of Jesus, who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. Read it again. One of the greatest ironies of the history of Christianity is that its leaders constantly gave in to the temptation of power. They strove for political power. They strove for military power, economic power, for moral power, and spiritual power, even though they continue to speak in the name of Jesus who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. We strive every day for our lives to be the most powerful, to be the most gifted, to be the best, to be number one, whatever it may be. And Jesus said, I intentionally stopped that and ended that and didn't cling to that and chose a life of service and to give my life away to those who are in need and to wash the feet of every single person around me and to be a servant of all. And we strive every day to be served in everything that we do. Listen, if we can't, listen, if we cannot embrace the message of humility, then we can never embrace Jesus. If you don't like this message, then you don't like Jesus. If you want the power of God to move through you without, without humility, then you're wasting your time. Humility and a life of service and dependence and vulnerability and neediness should be the mark of every single follower of Jesus. And it, we don't like it. It offends us. You're thinking you're wishing I would just shut up so you can go and watch the football games. You can be honest. Be humble and be honest right now. 
We struggle with this. Listen. So let's just name the black eye of the church. Do a church history. Just read a church history class. Read about all these great men and women who had these great movements of God in their life. And now all of a sudden they got known and they got seemingly power. And all of a sudden they became corrupted. How many of you know that the reason that people leave churches is because of people like you who are hypocritical in your lifestyle, who say one thing with your mouth and then live something else completely different with your lifestyle? How many of you in here don't want you, you struggle liking me because I'm simply a pastor? Because somewhere along the way, some idiot of a pastor did something stupid they shouldn't have done all in the name of pride. And their own power. And so I sit here and it takes some people years to, to, to even like me and trust me because pastor's in front of my name. How come I don't like, that's the reason I like to be called pastor sometimes. I'm just Steve. So my mom called me. I'll tell you what would be happening in our world today. Everything would be fantastic. If every single believer of Jesus just lived a life of humility. Because then in that point, the power of God could flow through you because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, if humility is needed for power, if humility is needed for us to move in power, then we must shift our lifestyle to celebrate humility and weaknesses so God's power can move in us and God's power can move through us. I'll say it again. If humility is actually needed for power, if I'm right in this, which you need to go test this to see if I am, don't just trust me. I'm a pastor. You can't trust pastors. Then we must shift our lifestyle to celebrate humility and weakness so God's power can move in us and through us. I mean, this doesn't make any sense, does it? Power found in humility. Alan Hirsch makes this statement. He's my favorite, my favorite author. It says, following our, following our humble Lord, we can never approach our Christian life from an arrogant perspective that we're better than. True disciples, true followers of Jesus must not expect to conquer by power or by force. I'll say that again. True disciples of Jesus must not expect to conquer by power or by force. They must use the same means of Jesus. Steadfastness in the truth. Acceptance of being misunderstood and rejected and a willingness to achieve victory through redemptive suffering. This is a dreadfully difficult lesson for us to learn, for we want to have it the way of the world. Power. Number one. Back when I was in college, I read a book that was on my parents' bookshelf called Taking Our Cities for God. By John Dawson. Ever read that book? Put your hand up high because no one in the nine o'clock service. Thank you. Anybody else? Who was that back there? Is that there? You got Charles. All right. I got two people. All right. I'll talk to y'all. Then. Remember that time of the book? No. Okay. Remember in the in the beginning, the introduction to the book. John is a John Dawson was a pastor, and I didn't trust him either. Anyway, no, he's a pastor, and he he worked with a group called YWAM, Youth of the Mission. Okay, and they were they were in uh, where was it? Hold on a second. I can find myself. Cordoba, Argentina. Cordoba, Argentina. Tell them the story, introduction. And this, this, this story, I read it, and it just revolutionized my understanding of humility. 
And it understood my, it just revolutionized my understanding of the power of God moving the lives of people, okay? The power found in humility. So in this story, it tells about uh, being on the streets of Cordoba. If you've ever been, ever done street ministry, they were doing street ministry, going on the street corner and just preaching, right? And so he's preaching on the street corner of this group, and they're breaking up their large group into small groups, going in the street corners and just kind of preaching the gospel of Jesus, just preaching Jesus to people, right? And he said, for, for, and they went out one day, and, and nothing happened. Like he said, it was a complete, complete bust, seemingly a complete waste of time, literally incomplete, like everything inside of them, right? Just like a complete failure. And they all came back and asked, did anybody succeed today? He said, no one came to Christ today. No one even stopped to listen to us. And they said, man, what do we do? What do we do? So, he said, they sat down. And they began to think about the people of Cordoba. And so the people of Cordoba, they were given, they were people who gave themselves with a lot of pride with positions, with possessions, and with appearance. Does that sound like any country slash state slash city that we live in, right? Giving themselves to, to position, just putting, oh, you are there, you're a president, oh my God, you're awesome, I have a job, right? Positions and, and, and possessions, we just love possessions and, and then the appearance and how we look, right? And so they said, and what God spoke to them very clearly, says, if you're going to be able to minister to people like this, then you're going to have to embrace the complete alternate, the complete antithesis, the opposite of this in how you minister. You're going to have to minister an unbelievably deep level of humility. And so they did. So the next day, they walked out. They got to the street corner and they got down their knees. They put their faces to the ground. Notice my butt is in the air. That's embarrassing stuff, right? Good thing I'm not turned around looking at you with my butt. You'll know I'm saying that in a second. They're sitting there humbling themselves. Just humbling themselves, praying, Jesus, move in Cordoba. Father, we ask that you come and pour out your spirit in Cordoba. Jesus, we need you. These people need you, right? Butts just flailing in the air. Now listen, here's the deal. My butt was not facing you, but their butts were facing every single person walking by. Listen, there's nothing more embarrassing in life having your butt stuck in the air and everyone looking at it. You can laugh at that. It's, just, it's true. It's a true story. We don't like them. They're sitting for 30 minutes with their butts in the air just praying. So all of a sudden people begin to stop. All of a sudden crowds began surrounding them. 30 minutes later they stand up. Butts no longer in the air. Now their faces, their, their faces are facing the people. And there's this massive crowd of people just staring at them. They said later they didn't really know why they stopped. They began to speak the name of Jesus. And people began giving their lives to Jesus. By the handfuls. And they realized in the moment the greatest power in our ministry was found by humbling ourselves so that God's power could flow. There is power in humility. There is power in humility. See, why, what I, why I want us to recognize this, and, and, and listen, I mean, 
Issa said it well. She's like, I speak things that not, I, I haven't completely grasped yet, right? I speak this message and like, listen, I'm, I'm the worst offender, right? I'm the worst offender at this. But I recognize, and I recognize, I want us to recognize in our lives here, that our world, our world around us stands in desperate need of men and women of power. Men and women who, who make no decisions out of fear of man or a fear of, or a fear of failure, who take no steps in life just to please others. They won't let money drive their decisions. They don't perform religious acts simply out of customs or tradition. They will not allow themselves to be influenced by the love of publicity or the desire for a reputation. Our world is in need of power-filled people, people who, like Jesus, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that happens as we humble ourselves like Father God and like Jesus and sit there and say, I am desperate, I am needy, and I am vulnerable before you, and I have nothing in my own strength. I need you. Come, Jesus. Humility defining our life. We see this expressed, I believe, in the life of, of Paul. You see, we looked at it, right? We looked at Paul last week and this expression of him carrying humility. And next week we're going to look at that even more. We're going to build a foundation. We're going to erect the structure of humility. Why? Because we stink at humility. So we're going to spend some time erecting this foundation that we can stand on. Un- 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 unapologetically, we're going to do this. Because I recognize that every single one of us in here desires for God's power to move in us. We desire for God's power ultimately to move through us. How cool would that be? And I'm telling you, it's not going to happen until you put your butt in the air and embrace humility. That's where I am. We see this happening, right? It's an expression of humility. Jesus expressed it. We see it in Matthew chapter 4. I love this story because in all honesty, it probably is one of the clearest pictures for us of um, that we can identify with Jesus in of being a human being. We see his temptation by the enemy in Matthew 4. Remember, Scripture says that Jesus was baptized by John the Jordan River, right? his cousin. It says in Luke, it says that Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit of God into the desert to hang out with Satan. That's good times, right? Hanging out with the enemy. Hanging out, difficulty. And not only hanging out, he's got to fast for 40 days. When he's not eating or drinking much. Actually, not eating anything. Maybe drinking some water he finds. That's not fun. Right? He's out there. And all of a sudden, towards the end of this time, when, when the flesh is weak. How many of you are falling into sin or nothing you shouldn't do when your flesh just seems weak when you're tired? Jesus is there at that moment, right? And the enemy comes to him and says, hey, I mean, you're hungry, man. I mean, and you know how much power you have? See that big old boulder over there? You could turn that whole thing into bread right now. I mean, that thing could feed that boulder, turn it into bread and make it feed you for the next month. I mean, I could eat something with you even. It'd be good times, good times. No one's going to watch you. No one can see you. It's just me and you, brother. Just me and you. It's this temptation to exhibit his power. Right to to show what he can do, and Jesus then responds and he says, "Man, don't you love it?" He calls himself a man. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. 
Do you see what he just did? He just said, I'm humble and recognize I'm dependent upon whatever God gives me and not what I can produce in my own strength. You see that? I'm dependent, I am needy, and I'm vulnerable to God alone. So the second temptation, second temptation, enemy comes, says, hey, Scripture says that if you throw yourself down, the angels will catch you. Why don't you stay on top of this building over here and throw yourself down, and then the angels will catch you? Now, we all understand this. Hey, man, if we could, if you take, because if you do this, then everyone will watch and see that you're special, that you are better than everyone else, that you really are. You are the son of God. Do this and everyone know who you really are. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? I'm not going to put my focus on myself. I only do what I see God. I'm not going to tempt God by making him catch me when it's not his will to have for me to do this in the first place. Do you see that? I'm only going to do what I see my father in heaven doing. He didn't tell me to jump. So I'm not going to tempt him then. I'm not going to do something in my own strength. I'm not going to twist God's arm. I'm just simply going to do what he tells me to do. So shut it. Number three, right? Number three, temptation. The enemy takes Jesus up and somehow supernaturally shows him all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, he says, listen, if you'll simply bow down and worship me, then I will give you all of the kingdoms. And Jesus looks at him and says, get away. I will worship God and I will serve him only. Do you see the humility in this? I mean, that'd be awesome if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to give you all the kingdoms of the world. You're going to be ruler over them. And part of your flesh is like, oh my gosh, it'd be so great to be over all of these things. And Jesus says, get away from me with all of this stuff. I choose God and I serve him. He's saying, I'm dependent upon God. I'm vulnerable before God and I'm needy before God. I'm humble and I choose him and not power. You see, our desire and our need for power is so skewed as human beings. We want it for our own personal gain. And God says, no, no, humble yourself so my power can move through you so you can be a blessing to me and a blessing to others. This morning, I believe the Father is simply giving an invitation to each of us. And the invitation is simply this. What are the areas of struggle, the areas of temptation in your own life for power, for prestige, for being number one, for promotion, whatever it may be? What is that in your life that needs humbling so that I can pour myself out into you? God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. We struggle so often saying, God, why aren't you moving while we never look at our own lives to see if we've actually humbled ourselves so that his power can move through us? The invitation this morning is simply to name the areas in your own life where temptation has come, where where your temptation of power, the temptation for prestige, the temptation for self. So here are a few questions to ask this week. Have you loved your neighbor around you? Have you loved the people around you in your relationship? Even when you wouldn't get anything in return. Who did you serve this week without expecting something in return? 
How did you promote, listen, how did you promote someone this week at work, at school or at home who needed promotion more than you? How did you love your enemy or at least love the people you just really, really don't like? How did you love them? How did you pray for them this week? How did you die to selfishness in your marriage or in your closest relationships? How did you die to selfishness in the workplace? How many times did you obey God even when your mind or your body was screaming at you to do the opposite? Humbling yourself to obey God and not give into temptation. God's desire this morning is to move in you and his desire is to move in through you. He wants to move in power in your life. He wants to move in power through you to others who are in need. But our pride, our selfishness, our self-absorption, our focus on us keeps God from moving in us and through us. Because he poses the proud, gives grace to the humble. He's saying you have to embrace humility and humility was a choice. It says about Jesus He did nothing out of selfish ambition. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. He did nothing out of selfish ambition. How much do you do out of selfish ambition? How much do we do out of vain conceit? But in humility, Jesus considered others better than himself. So each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing by choice, taking the nature of a servant who have you served this week, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even a humiliating death like death on a cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you. God, we thank you that for this message, even though we really, really just don't like it. Father, humility hurts. It's counterintuitive to what we feel and think so often. That's why the enemy presses so hard to keep us focused on self. Because he knows that when we embrace humility, we become dangerous. When we embrace humility, it's like we embrace and we engage that deeper undercurrent of the flow of Jesus in our lives. Father, we confess that we want to be like you. And Father, we confess that we want to do the things that you did. And we want to fulfill your promise in John 14 to do even greater things than you did because of your spirit sent to us. And so, Lord, we come and we say, Jesus, do your work of humbling in us. And I just confess what I know it may hurt in some ways, but God, come and do that in me. Father, I love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.